Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mr. No Gray Area, Jed Mashu. Wow. Oh my goodness, I did not anticipate that. Welcome everybody to Between the Links. I am Jed Mashu. I am not Mike Heck, because today we have a first, aside from getting my own intro from the one, the only, the voice of, of so many things and the voice of the MMA Fighting Network, Esther Lynn. Uh, we are here with a, a big first because this Between the Links is a special edition, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited to introduce to you the competitors today, starting with the man who usually sits in this chair, the man who has held this chair, who created this show, and is now coming to lay the smack down, Mr. Mike Heck. Mike, how are you doing? everybody i did not ask for this i didn't want to bring out boston mike i didn't voluntarily decide to become the champion of my own show because i would never ever do that but when somebody calls me out i gotta step up and drake riggs you are my friend you are the champion and when this is over i hope we can still grab a beverage or two together on the road but while your long flowing hair ended up on some barbershop or salon floor a few weeks ago, the rest of you belongs to me. Today, you woke up BTL champion. Tomorrow, you'll be on the Wikipedia page one spot below mine. Let's go. Wow. Boston Mike throwing the gauntlet down. Mike, if if the Boston accent doesn't come out today, I'm I'm going to just give a default win to Drake. So I'm going to need some of that, especially when you're all geared up like that. But the man who I guess gets to be champion gets to call himself champion, befittingly wearing a Bill Belichick-esque hoodie as he sits across from the one and only Boston. Oh, he took the hoodie off and really went for it. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I see you got the PFL swag, Mr. Drake Riggs. Yes. What is up, Mr. PFL Commissioner? Good to see you in a new chair today. And as for that mass hole on the other side of things today, I hope he's got his pocket full of quarters ready because he's going to need them down at the pack. You when I'm done with him. Let's go, Boston, Mike. Bring it on. That's is- the worst accent I've ever heard. Don't ever do that again. Do it as much as you want, Drake, because this is already the best episode this show's ever had. Let's Let's just be honest. So... We've got four rounds of fighting ahead of us, and <laughs> it is important that we start with the biggest news of the week. Uh, I didn't do anything fun like flip a coin. I just decided that because it's Mike's show, Mike gets to go first. So, Mike, the biggest news of the week by far, uh, of probably the last month or two, Nate Diaz finally got himself a fight. 
We talked about it on last week's episode. Nate, you know, went on the Ariel Helwani show, did a whole special ep where he talked about being unable to get a fight. Finally, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but it is a tough, tough, greasy out for him in Hamza Chemaev. They will be headlining UFC 279. Mike, let's start with you. And, and what are your initial impressions to this fight? Kind of just talk talk me through how you feel it all went down. And is, is this the right fight for Nate to go out on? I love everything about this. Everything. And I said it this morning on Heck of a Morning, and I'll say it again here. It's amazing how people react to things. Because for the last few months, six months, maybe a year, however long this has been on the beat, a large contingency of MMA fans have been on social media chanting with their keyboards, let Nate fight, let Nate fight, free Nate Diaz, let the man fight. And then he gets this fight with Hamza Chemaev and it's come to anybody but him, anybody but him. This is insane to me. This whole thing has potential to work out for everybody. Now for the UFC, business-wise, this is going to do big numbers on pay-per-view. Now people watching right now, you could say you're not going to watch it, but you're full of crap. You're going to watch it. There is a small downside for the UFC, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for Diaz, he asked for this fight. He wanted this fight. And for those saying that this is the UFC putting Diaz out to pasture, maybe in their eyes, that's how they're going to present this. Maybe that's what they want to believe. But that's not what's happening here. And Shamayev, while he doesn't need anything more to get himself over in my eyes, although there are people who feel like he lost a bit of momentum in that last fight, which was a decision win over one of the best welterweights on planet Earth in just his fifth UFC fight and just his 11th fight as a pro, Hamza Shemaev shouldn't have lost any momentum in that fight against Gilbert Burns. And instead, he gets put in this position where he is heavily favored, but all of the pressure, all of it, is on Hamza Shemaev. Diaz can always find a way to make his stock rise. And as long as he doesn't get run over in two minutes, that's what's going to happen here. And if this fight makes it through seven or eight minutes, things could get real interesting. And what if Nate wins? What if this man wins? What if he weathers the storm and he beats Hamza Shemaev? That would just be the most MMA thing that could ever happen. And then he will dance his Stockton ass over to the squared circle where he's going to box Jake Paul and make a floppity jillion dollars. Now for the UFC... The downside is very small and it's very short term. Shamayev, who they're building up to be a star, takes a little bit of a step back. He's out of the title picture for now. He's out of the Usman discussion for now. But winning changes everything. And one win later, they'll put him right back in that spot and they'll build him up to be the man. Dana White will have to go to the back and answer a couple questions about it. Then he'll put Diaz over in hopes that he may come back in the future. And Dana will be pissed for like an hour and a half. But then he'll reach into his tissue box full of hundos to wipe away those tears. So short-term potential pain for the UFC, but very little. The only risky thing here is that Shemaev just is in two minutes. Other than that, this has a lot of upside, and I don't understand why anybody's complaining about this. Wow. So Mike, uh, Mike coming with the hot takes that I usually bring. Drake, do you, do you agree? Do you think this is an all-upside proposition for the UFC, or, or is there some risk here? And is there risk for Nate? Because he is not fighting an, an easy matchup by any means. Well, yeah, I mean, the risk is obviously in the matchup itself because this is on paper an absolute nightmare for Nate just from what we've seen historically. I mean, you look at practically any good wrestler, decent wrestler, I may even argue, does pretty well against Nate. And uh, Chimaev has proven to be quite good. And I mean, I'd argue he's already beaten some better 
defensive grapplers, at least wrestlers and whatnot, than Nate. I mean, Lee Jingliang, probably a good one there. And I could see this fight going very much like that. So as Mike said, unless Nate gets destroyed in two minutes, which is very, very possible. It seems kind of crazy just because it's Nate. But look at what Hamzat's doing to people and especially people or somebody of the style like Nate who has not historically done good against uh, you know, a fighter like Chimaev. But um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of great points that Mike did make in terms of this being just a completely high upside, you know, fight to make and business strategy here, uh, unless Nate is to magically pull off an upset, which I think is a very, very low chance. So everything is trending in the right way because for Chimaev, this is already a guy who has become a very big star and to beat somebody like Nate, just makes him that much more of a you know relevant name not that he isn't already but boosts his casual you know star power and especially being in a main event his first main event with the ufc um already building this narrative of oh nate's last fights all these things that go into it should be an easy matchup like it doesn't help at all with hardcores or meritocracy like this fight in terms of that does nothing for hamzat like it's a step backwards he's facing a guy who's one in three uh, one in three in his last four lost two in a row like nate wasn't even main event in his last fight um i mean that's very clear i don't even need to mention that part because the fight that made sense was probably colby if you weren't going to give him a title shot already um but we don't know what's going on but we do know we know what's going on with colby but he's kind of staying quiet about things obviously at the moment so that obviously wasn't going to happen it's it's a very pretty good great case scenario for the ufc in terms of business and the only bad thing i think would be if nate does pull it off but you know again i don't think there's a very good chance of that and if he does well, hey, at least they tried, and it's still created a great amount of buzz, and it kind of makes things more interesting for Hamzat coming back if that was to happen. Um, and, you know, we'll make people question, all right, maybe he wasn't for real. Sure, he got past Gilbert Burns and whatnot, but he lost to Nate Diaz. Like, this is crazy. Like, it'll make you really invested in his next fight. I don't want to say more so than if he wins, because, again, he'll just have more eyeballs on him, and you know he's going to say a lot. He's already saying this is going to be the funeral of Nate Diaz, at least his UFC funeral. You know, he's not going to actually kill the man. I mean, he could in there. It'd be very, it's a very bad matchup, like I said. But I think there are a lot of positives. Um, I agree with Mike on that. Okay, Drake. So Mike obviously went went deep down into the, here's what could happen if Nate wins. I'm going to ask you to, to do the same. Let's say that we're living in the fantasy world that Mike has created for us and that Nate Nate, you know, pulls off the armbar off his back or whatever. What happens to Nate next? When you you talked about Hamza, where does Nate go from there? Obvious other than obviously out of the UFC. I mean, is that obvious though? Because then if he beats Hamzat, uh, why would the UFC not want to at least try to keep him around? And, you know, they could even try and hand him a title shot right there. And it doesn't seem like he cares about any of that stuff anymore, obviously. But who knows, you know, just how enticing something might be for Nate after, you know, a great win that would surely make him feel really good and be back in good graces. Not to say they're on bad terms or anything, but um, I think that would make a possibility of him returning much more likely than obviously if he loses. But what would happen if he does win and goes on? Um, man, it's it's so interesting. You know, we talked about it last week with the dynamic of the things that he was saying and how. He doesn't care about the money, which is where there's going to be more of that, presumably and most likely outside, even though he said that the UFC's offering so much, you know, around Connor level. If there was to be anybody more than him, it would be Connor. I feel like the most likely case would be, you know, that Jake Paul match would be the first thing, depending, I guess, on what happens with his match that's coming up here. But 
he has so many more options, I think. And not that that wouldn't be there even if he loses, but that just makes it obviously much more interesting and exciting and a big deal for people. But I don't know. He's still just in such a weird spot to me, right? Because it seems like his interests are still kind of hard to fully decipher. Like, I believe him when he says it's not about the money. Otherwise, you know, I think we'd be seeing some other directions here. But I feel like everything has just pointed to him going in boxing, whether it is against Jake Paul or, you know, who knows, Logan, and he's wrapped up with WWE now, but something like that. He was already at the uh, the last match with Tyron Woodley, right? Um, so that just seems all too likely, even win or lose, but with a win. And again, it depends on what happens with Jake, but I think we can be pretty safe with um, that being the immediate future anyway. Long term, I, I really have no idea, man. It's 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 I don't see him going back to the UFC though if he does leave. Like I mentioned last week, I just I don't see that happening if he does get out of there. Mike, we this is a fun world to live in. I, I want to live in the world where Nate Diaz gets his first relevant win in a lifetime and happens to be a Ram Jamayev. <laughs> so let's let's stay let's stay in pretend land and this happens. Do you think that this is does that make it more likely that the UFC just says, screw it, back up the Brinks truck, here's all the money? And Kamaru Usman, title shot for you, Nate Diaz. Let, let's do the damn thing. Or do you think that this is just cut and dry? He's gone. I think it's a combination of both, Jed. I think the UFC will try to invest in him. But I think they they obviously understand that he has to go box Jake first. And they're going to be rooting for Nate to go out there and beat Jake. And if he does go out there and beat Jake, which I don't know if he will, he probably won't. But let's just say he beats Shemayev and then he goes and beats Jake Paul in boxing. Then the Brinks truck that you backed up, you're going to have to back up a second one, maybe even a third one. So Nate's just going to continue to bet on himself, as he should in this type of situation. It has been a nightmare for him to get to this point and finally gets a fight that he asked for, gets to headline a pay-per-view. He's going to go out in style. And the fact that the UFC is sort of giving him what he wants and they're giving him a headline spot, they're doing it in Vegas, they're not doing this in Abu Dhabi, they're not offering a BS fight that they know he's not going to take in a time frame they know he's not going to take it in, I think they found some sort of a happy medium here. And I think depending on how the build to this fight goes, if it all goes down, if it goes down in a competitive way and Nate's, Nate's stock continues to rise and he's still somewhat respectful of the promotion on the way out and doesn't say F Dana White and F the UFC and all this stuff, I think the door is still open for him to come back. Now, if he beats Shemayev and beats Jake Paul, the UFC is going to Offer they're going to back up four to five brink structure to try to bring him back for that Connor fight, maybe for an Usman fight. Who the hell knows? But if Nate Diaz even is competitive in this fight, they're going to try to back up a brink struck. And then if he goes on and boxes Jake Paul, it's even somewhat competitive. We're even talking about this. Maybe Nate somehow won but didn't get a decision. Either way, Nate's stock continues to rise. And like I said earlier, the only thing that stops this from happening is if Nate just gets trucked in like two minutes. Nate weathers a storm in the first, makes it to the second, flips him the birds off the stool heading into round two, makes it to the third. And then if he goes the distance, like all of that is a win for Nate. All of that is a win. So anything outside of him just getting trucked in the first half of the first round is going to be a win for Nate. So either way, I think he's going to be in a good spot and we'll see what happens. So bring truck, back it up, but you might have to back up a second one. Muted. Uh, I understand it's your first day hosting, but yeah. <laughs> I can't hear you. 
My bad. I mute because I've got <laughs> stuff going on behind me. I was just saying that I love everything that's going on here. Hand up, guys. I've never hosted this show before. Uh, but I'm going to have to get used to it because our first round point. Give me the drum roll, Casey. <laughs> it's going to go to Mr. Mike Heck. The man, I mean, look at him. Look at him right here. Just... <laughs> Let's go. It's like it's like flipping a switch, baby. Let's go. Now I'm ready for round two. The hat is backwards. The shades are back on the head. Let's Freshly go, Drake. Saved. Let's go. Drake might, might need to go full rally cap mode here because he's behind the eight ball to start. <laughs> the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Round two, gentlemen. A ton of stuff has happened this week. And while the Nate Chimaya fight is obviously the biggest fight announcement, we had an infinite number of other fights, and seemingly all of them were on UFC 280. So just a quick rundown of the fights that are happening at UFC 280. There is the main event lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev. There is uh, Bilal Muhammad, Sean Brady is still there. Uh, the Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw co-main event. Uh, and then, you know, just just Benil Dariush, Matush Gamrot. Oh, and Pyotr Jan, Sean O'Malley. An absolutely stacked card. Drake, let's start with you. Outside of the lightweight main event, which is the best division in the sport and obviously the best fight of any of these bunch, what is the fight at UFC 280 that is, is the most interesting to you at, at this point in time? Mm, I think it is probably between... Aldo Dillashaw and Dariush Gamrot. And uh, I lean, uh, as much as I love the Bantamweight division, Jed, I might lean towards Dariush and Gamrot in this case because I always love kind of these unofficial tournaments that it kind of looks like we're getting, at least could be, 
similar to UFC 276 with Strickland and Pereira and Adesanya Cannoneer. Like that was pretty much what that was, the four man there. And in this case, I could see the winner of that fight going on to fight the winner of the main event. Obviously, a lot of factors in play there. But Dariush, we were expecting him to maybe get rebooked there with uh, Islam Makachev. At least that's what Dana was saying he wanted assuming that Connor must still be healing because Oliver was all about that one, even though he's open to fighting anybody as well. And this was also a matchup here. Um, and with Gamrot, you know, coming off that win over Sarukian, who down the totem pole, but a very high level, high, you know, very talented guy in the lightweight division. And some people think he lost that one, but Gamrot's still very, very good. It just shows you how good that those two guys are really. Um, and then taking on Dariush, who is on a great winning streak himself, hasn't fought since what was it? sometime last year that Tony Ferguson fight feels like so long ago and um you know he's been chomping at the bit to get in there and prove himself was talking about the Poirier matchup potentially like Dariush in a really weird spot now and I think that this is a great opportunity for him to kind of remind people and prove or I guess just fully remind people that he is one of the best in the world and especially on this platform here where the title will also be on the line when he's been talking about fighting these guys too. And people have belief in him. Like what Paul Felder was saying, he thinks he has a better shot against Oliveira than Makachev. Like there are people who think in the, in the sport that Dariush is at least potent, has the potential to be a champion at this stage. And against someone like Gamron, who has already proven himself, you know, uh, internationally as KSW champion and doing great in the UFC now. He can really shake things up here. Like he's not super far down the line, but he's a part of that new blood in the uh, UFC lightweight division that we're seeing this influx of, you know, talent coming up here. And so for this fight, and they're very interesting styles matchup too, uh, with both of them, and with the factors of Gamrod being the more active of the two, but Dariush being around longer, and you could argue more proven at least in the UFC. Obviously, I don't know. That one really uh, is really intriguing to me, and I could see it being one where. Oh, Dariush is so close. You know, we see these cases all the time with these guys who have these great winning streaks. And for some reason, something doesn't line up where they don't get their title shot. And then they lose when they're right there. Like this could be that one where Gamrot jumps over and uh, could go on, I guess, in theory, to fight the winner of uh, the main event there with Oliver and Makachev. So I just love me that dynamic of a tournament feel, even though the UFC will never do that at this stage and won't say that that's what's going to happen. But that's how I'm looking at it. So I like that a little bit more than uh, the Bantamweight title fight, even though that should be very good too. I just feel like it will be less competitive than this one as well. Wow. I I intentionally took a dig at you because I just assumed you'd pick the two Bantamweight fights instead <laughs> of correctly acknowledging that the lightweight bouts are the most inter interesting. Mike, you're a man who also values the Bantamweights. Do you, do you agree with Drake? Do you think that is is Benil Dariush Matush Gamrot the the low key banger of this extremely exciting card? I actually think the the title fight between Sterling and Dillashaw is more low key than this fight because I mean I, I got to kind of experience it with my own ears this morning. Everyone wanted to talk about all of these other fights that were announced, and no one except for like the last caller on Heck of a Morning actually mentioned. Sterling Dillashaw being on this card, which is really interesting to me. At first, I agreed with Drake that outside of the actual main event, it was this Gamrot Dariush fight. And the more I thought about it, the more my heart continued to break for Benil Dariush. And here's why. If he loses, naturally, he's out of the conversation and Gamrot jumps him over. That's obvious. Drake just said that. But even if he wins, I still don't think he's going to get a title shot. I still don't even think he's second in line. I think he's probably third in line in the UFC's eyes, which is a bunch of 
bullcrap, if we're being honest, because a lot of people felt like he has already done everything he needs to do to get a title fight. But if Oliveira beats Islam Makachev, there's a very good chance that Oliveira is going to get that Conor McGregor fight. And a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it's probably what's going to happen if Oliveira beats Islam Makachev. And if Makachev wins, Volkanovski's probably going to get the next title shot, which is not fair and it's dumb and it makes no sense. And Darius should be the guy. But this is the world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. And that's just it. The UFC is going to try to sell a guy trying to win a second title over a guy like Benil Dariush. And it's just not fair and it doesn't make any sense. But to me, the correct answer is the fight that's gotten all the attention since it's gotten announced. And it is in the Bantamweight division and it's not the title fight. It is Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley because most people look at this fight almost the same way that they view Hamza Shemaev versus Nate Diaz. Oh, what are they doing? This is a terrible matchup for Sean O'Malley. He's just going to get run over. He's going to get eaten alive, yada, yada, yada. And maybe, there, maybe there's some truth to that. But I look, I look at the Jed Mishu way of how Tyron Woodley should have boxed Jake Paul in their second meeting in December. And what I mean by that is if I'm Sean O'Malley, I am just emptying the chambers in the first five minutes of that fight. I'm going after Piotr Jan with every single ounce of energy that I have. I'm going to try to make that man uncomfortable when he's trying to gather data in that first round. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to blast him with every single thing that I have. Now, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to get Piotr Jan out of there and get him just and pick up the biggest one of your career, maybe earn yourself a title fight or at least get yourself in the conversation. Or two, you're going to have a tremendous showing of yourself in the first round. And yeah, maybe you'll lose round two. Maybe you'll get finished in the third, but you're going to go out there and compete with the man. It's going to look like a fight where the betting line doesn't match what we actually saw in the octagon. We know how Jan gets better as the fight goes. So if I'm O'Malley, I'm not trying to have a point kickboxing fight with this guy. I'm not going to let this guy try to kick me in the legs. I'm just going to out the gates put the boots to this guy, try to tackle him through the cage and just beat him with every ounce of strength that I have. Will that work? I don't know. Is it worth a shot? I think so. And come fight week, this outside of the main event, this is going to be the fight that everybody's talking about. This is going to be the media day scrums that get the most views. This is going to be the write-ups that get the most clicks. It's going to be all on Jan and O'Malley because it's just such a weird, wild fight that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you actually look at the landscape of this division, who's booked and who isn't, this is actually the best thing that could have happened to either guy. And I feel pretty badly for Pedro Munoz that he kind of has to sit out, watch Sean O'Malley fight the former champion after poking the dude in the eye. But this to me is, outside of the main event, the most intriguing fight on the card, even though the betting lines might suggest this is going to be a whitewash for Piotr Jan. Yeah, the betting lines are really interesting to me on this one because I don't get me wrong, everyone who's watching is going to be mad at me because I'm not Trey Craig's. I'm sorry. Uh, I think Sean O'Malley has a better chance than the numbers are suggesting because to me, this fight feels a lot like, I don't know, I've, I've said it for a long time. I think Piotr Jan, his style is not nearly unbeatable over five rounds. Three rounds, very different. He's a slow starter, takes a while to get up ahead of steam, and He's not going to be able to put that pace to take advantage. So, Drake, do, can Sean O'Malley win this? Like, is this a does he have a, an actual chance to win this, or is this a Hamzat Nate level slaughter uh, incoming? No, I don't think it's comparable in that way, and kind of specifically because of the style differences there that we're seeing. I mean, if you do look at the Munoz fight, which I do want to, you know, bounce off Mike there, feel terrible for him. Like he's the real loser in all of this. Uh, gets poked in the eyes and then loses out on an opportunity potentially, I guess, to fight Jan, who could have been him. 
But instead, O'Malley gets to go on as if he won, and you know, as he did win anyway. But um, I think he has a better chance than Nate for sure. If you were to compare those two matchups, and you do look at that fight specifically with Munoz, like he was very patient in that one, and you know, it kind of didn't make for the most exciting fight whatsoever. Um, lost the first round on two judges' scorecards, so. Maybe if he can adjust off of that, but still fight with that same level of patience, I could see him, you know, maybe having success at least in the very first round and doing pretty all right there. And he has the length advantages over most everybody in the division. So if he can use that to his advantage here against Peter Jan as well, um, I think he could definitely find success. He's got a great power. We've seen, as you mentioned, Jed, um, you know, Jan being a bit of a slow starter, specifically in like, I don't want to say he. He does get better as the fights go on, but you look at his fights against like Jimmy Rivera, for example. He lost those first two rounds until like the last 15 seconds when he hurt Jimmy. So it's kind of a progressional build in terms of the round itself and then especially the five rounders, which we see kind of this different switch that he can flip in those two fights. And I wish that this one kind of was five rounds just for the fact that or the potential to see O'Malley work with that, whether it would help him probably not but to see him experience like we never got to see that with Zabit for example haven't seen it with O'Malley yet of course it's more fun to have this big stack card and all that but there's that dynamic to it as well so I think that O'Malley definitely has potential to do pretty well against Jan I'm still not going to favor him I think these odds are still about right and I mean if you were to compare the odds to uh Diaz a much bigger underdog than O'Malley is but um yeah, I think I think he can do well there, whether it's just getting right in Jan's face, making him uncomfortable and risking it all. That's probably his best ticket, like Mike did mention, just because of the fact that as the fight goes on, no mercy is going to show no mercy. All right, well let's said. talk about the other Bantamweight fight at 280 because there are just so many fights that, I, and I want to talk about all of them, and I was a little shocked that you guys both wanted to, to wax poetic <laughs> on Gamrot versus Darius. So the co-main event... Uh, I agree with what I think both of you have said and that Mike uh, Mike particularly was like, yeah, the Sean O'Malley fight's going to gonna outstrip it. Co-main event is not going to be the biggest fight in this weekend, but it's certainly the most important Bantamweight fight. So, Drake, let's go back to you. How do you think TJ Dillashaw is going to become a three-time champion, which I think only Randy Couture has done before? Maybe no, I guess John Jones, if you're counting his interim title, counts as a three-time champion. So is, is is TJ Dillashaw, does he have the ability to do that? And is this the right fight to make for the division? So TJ definitely does have the ability to do so. I don't think that he will. I still think that Aljamain Sterling is very, very underappreciated and underrated by a lot of people in the community. Um, you know, we saw what he did against Piotr Jan in the last fight. And yes, you can argue that he didn't win that fight, but he still did a whole lot better than a lot of people thought he would when compared to the first fights. And for TJ, he's a guy who is coming off of you know, the injury he had hasn't fought in a year now. Only that one fight in, what, the last three years since 2019, right? When he got suspended after the Cejudo loss. Like, just been very, very inactive. And yes, he did well enough to get the win over Sanhagen, but you can argue he lost that one as well. So, I mean, with a guy like Sterling, who has continually gotten better and better with his own striking over the years and is one of the best wrestlers in the division, can kind of shut down that movement that TJ presents I think he should be the favorite, not by a lot, and I expect him to go out there and get a second defense in this one. Um, and is it the matchup to make, kind of with everything I said there, the arguable nature of TJ's recent history, you know, testing positive and then getting a 
you know, arguable should have been loss against uh, San Hagen his last time out, plus the injuries, all these things around TJ. Um, it's I don't know if I would have made this fight. I'm not super mad about it just because he did officially get a win. I think it's important to go off of that and then uh, against somebody like San Hagen who was up there at the time and still floating around. But then you look at a guy like, you know, Jose Aldo, who has been resurgent still still hanging around he's getting closer to the end of his career we know the ufc likes to do favors every now and then we see with dan henderson not the same exact case here because aldo is still one of the very best in the division but what he's been doing has been more consistent and more impressive lately cleaner than tj um and he's not going to be around forever so i think that's one that we could have tried to get out of the way and at least see there's a great story there aldo is always a main event name hardcore fans love the guy and how can you not that probably would have been the one to make and of course then you could throw in the henry cejudo possibility but they i don't think we should even talk about that because the ufc and data have clearly been not interested whatsoever as much as henry wants to really remind us that he should be fighting for it and as much as i think that's probably the matchup i'd be most intrigued by just because henry also a guy like sterling who is perpetually underrated and underappreciated because of you know whether it's their personality or who they fought or whatnot I like that one the most, but logic-wise, it just never would happen. So I think Aldo is probably the fight that I would have went with here. Both guys were interested in it. Aldo wanted it, obviously. Now he's going on to fight his buddy, Marab. So, I mean, he wins that, then he'll get there. But I think we could have done it beforehand. Mike, who should have got the title shot against Aljamain Sterling, and why was it Jose Aldo? Yeah, I, I mean... Drake likes to act like he's not sitting on a fence, but he is straddling the fence right now. He said both names. Well, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could do this. No, Jose Aldo is the correct answer. Jose Aldo should have got enough. This win streak that he's on, look at the wins that he's gotten and how well they have aged. So to me, it was Jose Aldo should have got the shot. Now, do I understand why TJ is getting it? Sure. People think that because TJ is such a villain, that because he has a name for good or for bad, Maybe this sells better for some reason, but now that it's on 80 and it's the co-made event to Oliveira Makachev, like the UFC could have easily switched things up here. They could have easily put Aldo in this fight and they could have put TJ in there with Marab. They could have easily done that, but they didn't. This is the fight we get. I favor Aljamain Sterling a lot in this fight. I actually feel like Piotr Jan is a better version of TJ Dillashaw, if that makes any sense. And Aljo... Won that fight in my eyes. I know a lot of people like to argue with that, mostly because one, they either bet money on Jan, or two, they just don't like Aljamain Sterling. And as of right now, this fight is flying under the radar. But much like Jacksonville, where Sterling Jan 2 was flying under the radar, especially on top of the main event and on top of the Shemayev Burr, built up their fight better during that fight week than Aljamain Sterling did. Nobody did. Absolutely did. Interest levels by the time we got to Jacksonville to where we are on fight night exponentially for that fight. And Aljamain Sterling was a big part of that. And I think we're going to experience something very similar here where this is going to be like fifth or sixth on everybody's rankings. But as things progress, as we go through the media days and the press conferences, Aljo calls Dillashaw a cheater. Dillashaw tries to fire back at Aljo. Maybe we get O'Malley in there to say his stuff, and Jan will probably have his things to say as well. I think the build for this fight is just going to increase and get bigger and bigger as we get to October 22nd. So, like the fight, favor Sterling. He should be the favorite in this one, and Aldo should have been the guy. We should be talking about Aljamain Sterling versus Jose Aldo on 
Fight Island or instead of Dillashaw. But this is the world we live in, and this is what we have to deal with, unfortunately. I just want to say real quick, the point about selling, you know, I don't know if it really matters in this case, because as we've learned over time, Mike, I mean, as much as we love these massive big stat cards, we're the only ones that that matters for. The casuals do not care. They only want the main event. I mean, look at Hamzad and Diaz as a perfect example. That card is going to do better numbers than this one. That card is not going to be better than this one top to bottom. So I don't think it really matters in this case because Dillashaw and Sterling was never going to be a main event, at least of this event, maybe that one right there. But then they decided, all right, we're going to push it back because we made Hamzad and Diaz happen. So in terms of selling, I don't know what they were thinking because it doesn't matter. And plus, they have to give Abu Dhabi two title fights anyways. And this they were just like, well, we'll just move this one back. We pay the UFC all this money to put on these mega cards that have to have two title fights on it. So... Let's just move this back a month. But in the beginning, it should have just been Aldo anyways. So, I, and I have said that for months and I, you probably said that many times yourself, Drake. Like, what, There would be no better story right now for this division than if Jose Aldo fought for the title and somehow won it. There's just no better story. And we compare it to what would happen if TJ Dillashaw won the title. It's like a night and day reaction. It's apples and oranges, baby. That would be the funniest so, outcome. Uh, it would be, <laughs> that would be the funniest outcome. Would, let's let's all be, be honest. Pretty, it would be pretty, <laughs> yeah. But Aldo should have been the guy. This just be like, okay, we need a second title fight. This one's here. We got Diaz Shamayev. Let's go. No. Mike, you mentioned a second title fight, and I know we've had a long round two, but there's still more. Because the main event, we have to at least discuss it for a little bit. It is Charles Oliveira, the uncrowned champion, fighting for the vacant belt against Islam Makachev. It's the fight that was rumored for a long time. I think we all thought we'd get here, though whether it would take place in Brazil or Abu Dhabi, wherever it would happen, we ended up here. How excited for this fight are you? Because personally, I am stoked. Like This is, this is the best fight <laughs> of the year for me. So I, I hope yeah. you both are in the same, the same boat I am. This is the best fight on paper this year for the UFC by a considerable and significant margin. In terms of intrigue, it's very rare that we find especially made events where we don't need any drama. We don't need any BS. We don't need either of these guys at media day. We don't need either of these guys at press conferences. We don't need either of these guys on Twitter. We just need these two guys to show up and fight each other. That's why this fight is so special. It is so intriguing because all the questions we have had, Islam Makachev, are going to be answered. Did he deserve this title fight? Was him not getting a top five win enough to put him in this position? Was the dominance against the Bobby Greens and the Dan Hookers of the world, did he deserve this opportunity over some other guys like Benil Dariush, you know, and other guys you could throw in there? And everybody wanted this fight. Everybody was so fascinated by it. And now we're going to get it. And we're getting it on this card. I thought that this would be the fight pretty much from the get-go. If they went a different direction, it wouldn't have surprised me. The fact that it's happening in Abu Dhabi kind of surprised me, but it also leads me to believe that there's no way that Conor McGregor is not part of this conversation right now. There's no way. for Because you could have done this fight at MSG and it has the same act to the casual audience to the viewers who are going to be spending $75 on it. You could have pushed this back to December and headlined the December card in Las Vegas. You could have done this in September. You could have done it in Brazil. You could have done it anywhere. And this fight 
would still be there and it would still be just as intriguing. But the fact that this is where the UFC wanted this fight, this is where Makachev wanted this fight, it's probably where Habib wanted this fight, Oliver didn't really want this fight there, there's no way that Connor's not part of the conversation right now. The scratch your back, you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. You go to Abu Dhabi and you fight this guy, you beat this dude, you get to fight Connor next. So I love the fight. The fact that it's in Abu Dhabi makes it a little more intriguing for the Oliveira side, but people just continue to sleep on Charles Oliveira. He's a big underdog right now as he stands. The last I looked, he was like a plus 190 or plus 200, no matter where you look. I mean, what else does this man have to do? Like, what else does this man have to do to silence the doubters? And I know, Jed, it might cost me a point. You know, like, I know you know that is that you feel that Islam Makachev is the best lightweight in the world and that sure this fight Oliveira should just hand him the title. Like, don't even do the fight. Just no, be like, here. he's not going to hand him the, the title. He's going <laughs> to fall over to his back, and Islam's going to be the one dude who's like, I, I do not care about your guard. I'm just going to bash your face in. Oh, that cool standing 10 count you have when everybody else is too afraid? Doesn't matter to me. You're dead now. Because Paul we'll Felder see. could elbow you out from the guard. I suspect I can do it too. Oh, uh, anyway, on. I'm not... I'm not a contestant. What's, what's the, the statute? Show, so what's the statute be, of what's the statute of limitation be. on these losses, Jake? Jed, come on, come on. I'm just the saying, fights, Paul. The, the fight rules. I'm saying if Paul Felder can year. do it, Islam can do it. But I'm not a contestant. Yeah. Drake Riggs is a contestant, <laughs> and Drake. Uh, Mike said. Mike said a thing which I think a lot of people are thinking about the Conor McGregor aspect to this. But rumors have been of that this fight and a lot of the other talk was not not about Conor next, but that this is the fight that if Charles wins could lure Habib out of retirement and that that could be maybe the biggest fight possible for Charles Oliveira, certainly from a legacy standpoint. If he goes in and beats Islam Akhachev, do you think that that can pull Habib back for one last fight and to do this, this, this kind of big super fight? Do you think that's possible? Uh, I mean, anything is possible, Jed. But uh, man, as much as I would... Absolutely love to see that. And I know we've, you know, went back and forth a little bit on Twitter about it. Uh, Habib versus Charles. Like, as much as I would have loved that, I would love it even more in this case where you have this story of him going in there and beating Islam and then fighting Habib makes it all the more intriguing because then you would know that he at least can handle a guy similar to Habib and at, you know, showing all these similarities to him, right? But man, with with a guy like Habib, who's just been so absolutely adamant about practically every decision he makes, but for him to come out of retirement just for, I mean, he's such a family-oriented guy, right? Like, he did the retirement specifically for his family. Like, we know he could continue to be fighting now. He could still be the champion at this exact moment, but he's not because he made his promises. Didn't care about the 30, you know. I'll take 29. It's fine. I, I just struggle to see him going back on his word. I think he would need something some more volatility involved. You know, you look at how just nasty and toxic things got with Connor. If it was to that level, which it's 100% not going to get even nearly as close to that, if at all, like Mike said, there's going to be no, we don't need anything more from Charles versus uh, Makachev aside from the fight itself. And we're not going to get it. And that's totally fine because that's how great of a matchup it is. I think if there was that amplified element to it, we could see it from Habib. I guess it depends on how things do go with the fight. Like, if he absolutely just destroys him easily, if Oliveira destroys Makachev, that is, maybe, but I don't know. I, I really cannot see that happening. And I don't know. I do not know if Habib is still in the testing pool or not. If he is, then I would automatically have to give it a better chance of happening. But still, a guy like him who's just been so serious about this whole thing and not really seeming interested, 
Like he's talking about, all right, it's these guys' time now. It was mine. I did it. It's fine. I, I don't think so, man. It's fun. And as much as I would love it, I just, he, he's never struck me as that guy, no matter what. Mike, is, is Charles after beating Islam versus Habib the biggest fight in the history of the UFC? It's the biggest in the history of the UFC right now? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I just don't know if anything can surpass the awfulness of the Connor situation and how much buzz that fight generated. Like it's, it's awful to think about because I would like from it just a purist standpoint, I would love to see what versus prime Habib would have looked like. I mean, it just would have been amazing. I would have loved to have seen that. I just think that Habib is a man of principle and I, I just don't think he's coming back, man. Like, I just don't. I think he's satisfied with everything that he's done. I just, and I don't think Oliver is going to do anything, like Drake said, anything really disrespectful to you, make him be like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, USOB? I am coming back. I just I just don't see it. Like, I feel like he's done everything he's needed to do. The only You want to live in this fantasy times, world. You want to live in this fantasy world where Nate Diaz is going to submit Hamza Chemaev, but Habib can't possibly come back. Just nonsense, Mike. Absolutely. Listen, nonsense. I, first of all, first of all, as the host, do not cut me off, son. And second of all, um, I run no, the ship right now. Right now, I'm no, but captain. seriously, I just no. I mean, I'm, I'm never say never. Like never say never. Like if Nate leaves the UFC and he comes back, like never say never. Same thing here. But if I had twenty bucks to put on it, I'm not putting it on Habib coming back. I think he's a man of principle, and I think he's happy coaching and just seeing some of his fighters try to reach his levels you know what i mean and he's gonna be pr plenty busy doing that i think we have a better chance of nate versus habib in eagle fc than that happening oh no now, habib now versus you're talking now you're habib talking versus adesanya baby <laughs> habib versus adesanya look but like you know you That's know that one. i said that i said that like two years ago that i think Habib beats adesanya and i still stand by it <laughs> i know so, uh that was probably the longest round in the history of this show, but UFC 280 had a lot of stuff. It was important to talk about it, and we got to all of it. We didn't even and mention the fight announced today. What? Uh, I, I, announced I was today? waiting for you to announce that. I thought that was going to be your answer to the first question, Drake. I, I, I was going to throw it in there, but it didn't fit too well. What got I'm announced today? Not, not super happy with it. Uh, Rodriguez versus Lemos. Oh, the Rodriguez the limos fight. Yeah, I that I saw that right okay. before we started. So yeah, we can't talk about that because we're already well past time at this juncture. <laughs> so the point for round two goes to cute. The champion, Mr. Jake Riggs, because he finally acknowledged the brilliance of the lightweight division. Just waxing poetic <laughs> on the great lightweight fights. I never didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> I know, but I, I teed you up to give deference to the Bantamweights, and you were like, yeah. no, I'd rather talk about Benil Darius and Matush Gamrot. And that, <laughs> that spoke to me on a personal level. All right, the third round. I know a lot of big stuff's happened this week, but a semi-important thing happened this past weekend. Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega... UFC Long Island, a lot of weird stuff happened. Obviously not the main event anybody wanted or the outcome anybody wanted. But the result is the result. Yaya Rodriguez officially takes a win over Brian Ortega. Afterwards comes out, says that he wants a title fight. Uh, Dana White and others have suggested an interim title fight. Yaya said, okay, but kind of really isn't that interested. He really does want Volkanovski and Volkanovski is kind of giving it the okay. So Mike, we'll start with you. 
where is the featherweight division right now? Like where where does everything stand? What do you, what would you like to see moving forward from from this sort of un, unfortunate series of circumstances that have occurred? So on Saturday, as that fight ended, and I'm thinking about the future of this division, unfortunate was a word that I probably would have went to first, right? But the more this has played out, the more that we've heard from the people involved in this conversation, the more I think outside of Brian Ortega, because it just sucks for him that the fight ended so abruptly, but for the players who are actually involved here, this is probably the best thing that could have happened because we have no clarity in this division. We have none. We can look at it from... Well, who's a bigger star and what's the more intriguing matchup? Or you can look at who's the guy on the bigger winning streak. Who's the guy who deserves it here? We have two guys who have a compelling conversation on who could be the number one contender, on who could be the guy to fight Alexander Volkanovsky, to try to stop that train from running over everybody. And now we have an opportunity to just have those two guys fight each other. Like there's no debate. There's no conversation. Meet me by the oak tree and let's fight it out and let's see who the better man is. Like, let's just have these two guys fight each other. You want to strap in it? You want to throw an interim title on the line so the guys make a couple more bucks? Sure, have at it. But you should probably just pay them more anyways and then we don't have to worry about any of that crap. Just let these two guys fight. Winner gets Volkanovski. Volkanovski's banged up. He's got the thumb injury. He's going to be out for 12 weeks. We don't even know if he's going to be able to come back and fight this year because we don't know how much of a toll that's going to take. We don't know what the recovery process is going to be like. So we hear these injuries and we hear these timeframes, like we're just hoping for the best. We're trying to have a positive outlook, but we don't know. We don't know. Like look at Daniel Rodriguez. Daniel Rodriguez was supposed to come back in January after a hand surgery. He needed two more hand surgeries and the man still hasn't fought after being so active to start his UFC career. So I think this is the perfect fight to make. I think we could do this sometime before the end of the year. We can have a clear-cut number one contender. We can let Volkanovski heal up. If he wants to go to one and challenge lightweight title, cool. That's fine. If not, he's got to he'll have an actual number one contender to fight. Like we don't have to pull the zombies. We don't have to slide in Henry Cejudo because no one cares. We will have like a legit full-on number one contender, not named Max Holloway. And to me, we will finally have an answer. And I'm excited about that. It sucks for Brian Ortega, but this is a win for Yair Rodriguez. Like the more I've watched it, this is a win for Yair Rodriguez. It's not like Ortega slipped in the cage and fell on his shoulder and popped out of its socket. Yair was trying to do something. Ortega tried to rip his arm out and he popped his shoulder out and the fight was over. So this is a real win for Yair. And this is probably the best thing that could happen for the division because now we're going to figure out who the actual guy is to fight Volkanovsky next. And I'm fine with it. You want to do an interim title? Cool. If not, just pay them more money and let them fight and we'll see who the better man is. So Drake, there's been a lot of backlash to the interim title idea. Obviously Volkanovsky said he was cool with it, but that sort of came under the auspice that he, he's got his eyes set on the lightweight title, right? So he's okay with an interim title in the meantime. How do you, how do you feel about the interim title? Is that, is that the right decision to make regardless of whether Volk gets a chance to go to lightweight or would you rather just see them fight for a number one contender spot? Typically, I would be in the camp of just letting them fight for a number one contender spot. But I think because of the uncertainty kind of that Mike mentioned there, it's like, all right, just to be safe, let's throw an interim title on the line. And I mean, in that case, it does help out the guys involved, you know, giving them more money. A title is always great for selling and just boosting the overall you know, feel of the fights makes it a little bit more important. So I'm kind of on board with it in that case. And especially with everything going on, like Mike said, it's not very clear, 
But I think it is pretty clear, and he mapped out why. That's the fight to make. Put an interim title on the line. We'll wait for Volkanovski whenever he's ready, whether it's just healing up or then when he goes to fight for lightweight. Whether or not it's either or both of those things, we'll at least have somebody 100% waiting, and we'll know exactly who it is because they got that shiny metal object around their shoulder. Um, so, yeah, I have no problem with it. Typically, I feel like interim titles should be reserved for you know, these injuries where champions are out for a long, long time. Like, I think the best case examples of that in UFC history are like Frank Mir when he had his motorcycle incident and then um, accident, I should say. Uh, Dominic Cruz, of course, during his first run, um, rather than something like Cyril Ghosn getting his after Francis Ngannou uh, won the title. But I'm fine with it here because, again, the uncertainty and if somebody wants to go up like Volkanovsky, I think that... I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at it like we talked about a little bit last week as well Jed like he still has some work to do in the division that is for sure but like I can't say I don't want to see him fight either Makachev or Oliveira or most of those guys at lightweight so out of just that pure fan perspective and me wanting to see those fights I'll let it slide I'm very you know much a purist in that regard but for this case Volkanovski is just so amazing I want to see what he can do at lightweight whether it's now or later I think that things are looking pretty all right at featherweight. And then with some other people involved, like I know Arnold Allen's name has been mentioned and he's a guy who shouldn't be forgotten, but he's got to fight somebody like maybe Ortega next or Holloway, which, you know, that one's always kind of a scary one to set back potential contenders as we've seen Holloway do. But I think things are looking pretty fine and clear for the most part at featherweight, even if there is some unknown with the champ and what he's going to do and how long it'll take for him to be ready again. He just wants to be active. So, I believe, you know, there's a chance he can do whatever he wants and make it work, assuming no more injuries kind of come out of it. Right, the well, UFC's speaking. on board. Yeah, or the two. Exactly. Even Dana White's on board with it, and that's that's huge. Well, let's talk about who else is on board. Alexander Volkanovsky mentioned a bunch. Drake, I want to go back to you, and we don't need to get too deep into the weeds here, but essentially in Volk's perfect world, the UFC's rumored to be coming back to Australia early 2023 and he said on Ariel Hawani this week hey I want to fight for the lightweight title in Australia and I think the UFC would do that for me because of all the water I've carried for them is that realistic or is it more realistic that he defends his featherweight belt in Australia and then after that he gets the lightweight shot if he's going to be out until early 2023 yeah I think it's way 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 more realistic that he's going to be defending there um especially let's say that Oliveira does win and I mean there's you know so many variables that go into that but let's say he wins after going and doing kind of a solid with the Abu Dhabi fight he wants to fight in Brazil again like for him to do it back to back I struggle with that I struggle to see him being all right with it and yeah I think Charles will do whatever the UFC wants but I don't know if they'd even you know, I feel like they would be generous enough, at least with somebody like Oliver, who's been so consistently exciting and uh, a company man himself to an extent, right? Uh, all right, they, they want to go back to Brazil too. Why not give him what he wants? We were thinking about it anyway. I I just don't know. Maybe with Makachev, that could be something. But I mean, there's just so many variables that go into that as well with just kind of the outcome of that fight and what happens with the lightweight title. I think a featherweight uh, title defense there for Volkanovski back in Australia is... It's not even really a discussion here. That is way more likely to happen, no matter whether it's against, you know, Yair or Emmett, doesn't matter. That's that is what will happen before. I'm pretty confident in that. No matter when it does happen, if if Volkanovsky does go up. Mike, what would you what would you rather see? Would you rather see Volk defend his belt in Oz? Or do you want to see 
Charles Oliveira make another trip to enemy territory or Islam Makachev make a trip to enemy territory for his belt? I mean, I would love to see either of those matchups, but I think as of right now, where we stand, it's probably he defends the title against either Yair or Josh Emmett, depending on who comes out of that one. Probably a co-made event. Um, and there's just a lot that has to, to factor into this thing. Like, what happens with Adesanya? Like, will he have already fought Pereira? Will he still be the champion? Because if Adesanya is the champion, he's definitely going to main event that card. And it's just a matter of like who he fights, who are they going to put him up, up, put him in there against. And if Adesanya is the main event, he's still the champion. Then Volkanovski will more than likely defend the featherweight title. Now, let's just say UFC two six, you know, two eighty one rolls around and Pereira knocks out Israel Adesanya and becomes the champion. Maybe do the rematch there. Maybe Adesanya needs some time off. Maybe we need a main event for that card if it happens in February or March. Then we'll call on Volkanovski. And you're probably not going to headline a car with Volkanovski versus Josh Emmett or Yair, but you could certainly headline Alex, Alexander Volkanovski going up to 55 to fight either Oliveira or Makachev, depending on what happens October 22nd. So it's kind of a fancy answer, but I just, it's kind of a wait and see at this point to see just how everything plays out. Like what happens? What if they book Yair and Emmett and something happens? One of these guys gets hurt and we have to push that fight back. Like there's a lot that can happen between now and when that event could even happen, which is not even on the books yet for Australia. So I think we get a lot to go on, but if I had my druthers, I would let, I would say Volkanovsky defends his title, rack up some more wins. I would, I definitely want to see him at 155. And if Makachev wasn't in the picture right now, if you wanted to do Oliveira versus Volkanovski for the vacant title. I would have been okay with that, but it's just not the world we live in. Volkanovski's hurt. Makachev's the guy. So right now, let's just keep guys where they're at. There's enough contenders at 55. And if Volkanovski is needed to fill a spot, then you can put him in there and give him his opportunity. But he's got more work to do. Let him do the work. Maybe get another title defense in. And then if 55 is still an option, if he's still the champion, if he's just sweeping scorecards and pitching perfect games, then then give him his chance at 155. So we have to wait and see, but I prefer him defend the title instead of going up as of right now. A lot of other awesome stuff happened this past weekend, which frankly, we're just not, we don't have the time to talk about. Sumadeji match Snell, fight of the year, comeback of the year, almost certainly locked up. Uh, Amanda Limos, who we briefly mentioned, got a big win over Michelle Waterson. Lauren Murphy, Mike was was on the Lauren Murphy bandwagon when no one else was. Got a big, big win over Misha Tate. Uh, a bunch of other stuff happened. Great card. But we don't have time for that because we are moving on to the final round and heading into that round with a 2-1 a two, one lead. Very narrow margin of victory is... Boston Mike Heck. He the lights the point. can't get too bright, baby. Woo! He gets gets the point basically because, you know, Drake just said, I agree with everything Mike said to start the round. That's never a good place to be <laughs> when you're when you're in a debate show. Like I agree, Mike, Mike's answer is perfect. So uh the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. 
Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our final round, gentlemen, uh, maybe of the whole thing, if if Boston Mike can get a W right now. This weekend, the UFC returns to London for their second show. Obviously, the event UFC London in March was a monster event. And so they decided to just run it back with like half of the same cast. Uh, UFC on London looks awesome on paper. Uh, the main event, Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall in a pretty important heavyweight title fight. Tom so, Aspinall. Thank you. I appreciate that, Drake. And Drake, let, let's start with you. What is at stake in the main event between Tommy Espino Tommy, and, and Curtis Blades? What is at stake for Tommy Espinall and uh, Curtis Blades? Tommy Espinall. I mean, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> which I did finally see that, by the way. I had to. Um, uh, it's, it's so weird, right? Like, I feel like we're still in the exact same spot that we were after we talked about the last UFC London event and, you know, after Curtis Blades' last fight as well with Doc, it's like, I feel like these guys are just looking to kind of maintain their spot in the waiting line, you know, because we're still waiting for things to shake out with, well, the champion, Francis, going to see what happens with him. John Jones, maybe, you know, we've been waiting on him to come back and fight maybe Stipe instead of Francis. Like, it has not cleared up at all at heavyweight and whatever happens in this fight isn't going to help it. It's just going to let us know. All right, these guys are ready after these guys <laughs> and who knows how long that's going to take. So all this is, is for fighting to stay, you hold your spot in line because you're not going to go up necessarily, but you're not going back. So that is really it. Of course, Tom Aspinall could continue to become a very big star in, um, you know, that part of the world, grow his base. And I mean, just grow his popularity overall. And he's already doing a very good job being that London guy as he wants to be. As for Blades, he's kind of just where he is now. I don't think he's going to become, you know, some massive superstar overnight. Yes, he can derail the hype, if you will, of Aspinall. I think he's kind of proven himself, though, as, as we talked about after his Volkanov, uh, Volkov victory. Um you know, he he could argue. I think he has potential to be champion one day. It's just a matter of time and how things shake out in this division. I think this is a very tough matchup for him. A guy like Curtis Blades, this will potentially tell us a lot if Curtis wants to utilize his best weapon, which is his fantastic wrestling, which he did not need or want to use whatsoever against Dacus. I think he should try to do that in this one. Um, but just in terms of what's at stake, man, like it's just managing to ma stay where you are like if you don't go up you can go down but there's just there's no way the ufc is going to let one of these guys pass up john jones or you know even stipe since he's in the conversation and then we have gone and tuivasa coming up like and they could be very well behind those guys maybe not gone but i i just 
we haven't moved whatsoever in the heavyweight division outside of the last, you know, the top four guys or so. Mike is the heavyweight division, obviously a little stagnant right now, just because of where the champions at in this interim title. But can Tommy Aspinall, I mean, I, we know the UFC wants to do John Jones versus Stipe. That's still not happening at the moment. A big win for Tommy Aspinall and a Mike performance. Can he, can he, slide his way into an interim title fight? Do they want to do John Jones versus Stipe? Because the longer the time frame goes, the less I feel that that's actually true. Because Francis is saying that he might be able to fight in December, maybe even January. So if that's the case, like if I'm the UFC, why don't we just wait? Like, why don't we just do Francis versus John? Like, this is what we're trying to build towards, right? And the fact that we haven't put this fight even on paper yet tells me that the UFC is going to put Francis number one here. They're going to try to figure out this contract situation, figure out when he can heal up, figure out when he can get back. And if he can get back at the end of the year or early next year, they're not going to try and risk booking John Jones twice because we know how difficult that can be. So they'll just give John the freaking Francis fight, which is the way to go anyways. And Stipe might just kind of be the odd man out of this equation, which would stink for him because they've just been kind of stringing him along throughout this entire process. Now, if Francis can't come back till like May or June or they can't figure out the contract situation, then we got Jones, we got Stipe. That could be sort of like plan B, do an interim title fight. And if we can re-sign Francis great. If not, then the interim champion will become the undisputed champion. But Drake mentioned a word earlier when talking about the lightweights. And I think it means, I, I think it's honestly what's happening at heavyweight, even though the UFC will never say it, even though they'll never present it this way. We're in the middle of a tournament right now. We're in the middle of a heavyweight tournament. We got main events, different parts of the world. We got London with this fight with Tommy Aspinall and Curtis blades. And then we got Paris in September, Cyril Gaon versus Tai Tuivasa. The most likely answer, as boring as this might be, I'd love to come out and throw a curveball at you, but the two winners are going to fight each other. That's it. And then they'll be kind of just thrust into line depending on what happens in the situation. But the fact that we don't have an interim title on in the books, the fact that we don't know what's going on with France at this point, John Jones is going to fight for the belt either way. Either he fights Stipe for the interim title or France come back sooner than we think then John will get that shot, and then we have to wait a little bit more. Now it's Stipe in here, so as of now, we're just building up to fight the winner of the winner of this fight. Just going to fight the winner of the, the Paris main event between Gan and Tuivasa, and we're just going to slowly build our way to one of these four guys getting into a title fight, which may not happen until the end of next year. It's a slow roll for all of them, and if you're Curtis Blades, you're used to this thing, so there you go. <laughs> They're fighting for the intercontinental UFC title of heavyweight. Yeah, television. <laughs> yeah, much. the heavyweight. Tel the television title. That's what they're fighting <laughs> for. The ESPN Plus Television Championship. <laughs> well, as big as that fight is, it is not the only fight this weekend. And as much as I love the co-main event between Cur uh, Action Man Chris Curtis and Jack Manson, we're not going to talk about that because it's not the show. That's not what the people are tuning in for this weekend. They're doing it again. They're running back all of the all of the UK's favorite sons and, and daughters. And how are they going to do? That's that's where we're going with this. So Drake Riggs, let's start with you. Patty Pimblett uh, is fighting in a, the third fight from the from the top against Jordan Levitt and Molly McCann, McCann taking on Hannah Goldie. And I'm even going to throw it out there just because I think he's the best prospect in MMA. Muhammad Makayev taking on Charles Johnson. All of them at UFC London got big Ws. They're running it back again. 
can can they go two for two? Can can the hometown people get the dubs this weekend, Drake? Yeah, I think it's very certainly possible. Um, if, it's it, the matchups. I don't want to say are tailor made for them to do so because they're not. I mean, Molly's is. I think for sure. I don't have much concern uh, for her there. Patty, that's always an interesting one because we've continued to see, despite him pulling off the wins that he has in the UFC so far, we've seen weaknesses in him. And Jordan Levitt, not so sure he's the guy that could be able to do it, but who knows? Because with like Vargas in the last fight, there was a brief glimpse there of Patty still getting into some troublesome issues, at least for you know a brief couple seconds there. Turn it around though, got the finish, so it doesn't really matter, but it's still shows you that he needs to work on some things and that he is susceptible in certain areas. So with a guy like Levitt, who's been consistent so far in the UFC to an extent, not the best guy, not the worst guy, pretty good spot um, for Patty to be fighting and still at that level, a guy like Jordan Levitt. I think that would be the one I'm most concerned about because Mokayev, he's very, very talented as well. Sorry, Charles Johnson. Don't, uh, don't think you're going to have a great time there. But I'd still have to lean towards Patty in that one and think that, um, you know, everything's going to work out for these guys, uh, you know, on take two here of UFC London. And um, I think the UFC wants that. <laughs> That's fairly clear. Why wouldn't they continue to build this up, continue doing this thing in London as much as they can? Who knows? Maybe they'll come back at the end of the year if this event does the same as the first one did. Um, but, yeah, I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that they'll have another great night. But who knows? This is MMA. It would be perfectly fitting if the UFC tried to replicate that same exact thing. And they all lost because that's how the MMA gods work. <laughs> I'm not willing to gamble on that, but it wouldn't shock me either. <laughs> if if, so, if they're going to lose, it's going to be all together, man. The ship's sinking all at once. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, if the MMA gods are cruel on Saturday, let's exclude the main event because that's obviously the closest fight on paper and in the odds. Who who is the UK fighter who screws the pooch for everyone else? Who's the one who doesn't get their hand raised if if it's going to be that way? Oh, boy. So I think I, I'm as high on Mahayev as, as you are, Jed. I've publicly said that in the next couple of years, he will be the flyweight champion. And then a couple of years after that, he will be a two-division champion. I think he will be good enough to go up to Bantamweight and win both titles. And Charles Johnson is is actually a perfect second fight for him because Charles doesn't care who Muhammad Mahayev is. He doesn't care that he's a, one of the top, if not the best prospect at all in MMA. He's just going to go out. Bell's going to ring. He's going to go out and he's gonna punch Muhammad Mahayev right in the face, and he's going to be like, react to that. So I do think Mahayev will react accordingly and get a win, might get a late stoppage, but I think it's going to be a fun fight for as long as it lasts. Molly McCann should never be a minus 410 favorite against anybody, Jed. Like, I think you know this. You know that's barred this week. <laughs> no, yeah, like, honestly, like, a minus 410 favorite? Come on. Number. Like, I know. It's big number. Like, I know. Yeah, I know Hannah Goldie, like, you know, she's one and two in the UFC. But we also have to understand, like, she took two years off. She was fighting at straw, straw weight and cutting all that weight. Now she's at 125. She's coming off of a win. She looked pretty good in that fight. She's just a big hulking girl. She's really strong. She's really athletic. And I know how much you favor athleticism, Jed. I know how much you favor that. So if I'm making dollars to put on non-UK fighter in this type of situation, I'm probably putting it on Hannah Goldie just because I just don't think that Molly McCann should be that big of a favorite over anybody, if we're being honest. And as far as 
what people are going to be circled come Saturday, the one that everyone's going to be talking about, Patty Pimble versus Jordan Levitt, this will be the most talked about card on fight on the card Saturday. And I feel like there's a very real chance that Pimlet can lose this fight because I just don't think he's that great. Like, I just don't think he's that great of a fighter. And for the building of Patty as a potential star for the company in, in any way, I actually d- didn't think this is the right matchup to go. Like, I think you should just put him in there with anybody, really. Your, your goal in this whole situation is to get this man a win and do it as painlessly as possible. Maybe he gets caught. Maybe he gets his, tin ch- his chin tested, just like we saw in the Vargas fight. But there's a real world out there where Jordan Levin, Jordan Levitt was a really boring decision because none of this Pimblet mind game stuff, none of the hometown crowd stuff, none of the these London people getting absolutely bombed at 9 a.m. is going to affect Jordan Levitt in any way. None of this is going to affect Jordan Levin. Jordan Levitt does not care. And when he says that this fight isn't interesting on paper or that this is just work for me, this is just another fight. Like He's not just saying these things to be cool. This is who he is. He truly means it, and he has been this way since he turned pro, since he was a 1-0 pro. This He's always been that guy. He's always been the guy who twerks and splits and reads a 1,000 books a year. He's always been that way. And there's no pressure on Jordan Levin. None of it. All of it is on Patty Pimplett. But I am predicting, Jed Mishu, the most MMA thing that could happen here. Are you ready for this? Because on Twitter... On MMA decisions, everyone in the media, maybe outside of the UK media, we will see this fight for Jordan Levitt after 15 minutes. We're going to go on to Twitter and we're going to say 29-28 Levitt. Not the fight we expected, but 29-28 Levitt. And Pimblet is going to get a controversial decision, probably a split. The London fans are going to go crazy. The rest of the world is wondering what <laughs> these two judges, probably Chris Lee is one of them, who scored it for Patty, what friggin' fight they were watching. Dave Portnoy is going to be looking like a, like a London royalty person. <laughs> He's going to be wearing the suit and the three-piece and the hat and all that stuff. He's going to have a monocle on. He's going to be jumping out of his shoes, and we will have learned nothing in the process with this fight. So I will say clean sweep for those three, but it ain't going to be pretty either way. Except for Mahayev. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> what an aside <laughs> great last thing on this card because the, this card's awesome like it's a really good card on paper we've talked about the big stuff what's give me your low-key banger what is the the under the radar best fight of the night you know it's it's very it's a great question because there are a lot of good ones here um but man i'm kind of inclined to say the curtain jerker, man. I want to go with the very first fight of the night at welterweight between Claudio Silva and Nicholas Dalby. I mean, Dalby is always a guy who brings it in since coming back to the UFC after his cage warrior stint. Has been in a lot of fun fights. Um, you know, kind of a weird stretch there where he's got two no contests in his last five. One of those was in cage warriors, but the Jesse Ronson one. And then just came, coming off the loss against Tim Means. I mean, he always brings it. Always a fun time with him. Claudio Silva, this was a guy who had some kind of weird under the radar hype for a little bit there when he was on his uh, long winning streak had the win over Leon Edwards and got um you know ran into James Krause suffered a loss there and then his last time out against Court McGee two veterans there uh so he'll be looking to get back in the win column and kind of silence the crowd which I would imagine would be in favor of Dolby and he's always kind of fun too you know maybe gassed out a little bit in those last two fights but is dangerous on the ground isn't afraid to bang and will have to if Dolby's coming in his face so uh, I don't know I really like the first one I think if I'm to pick out of these low-key 
fights that aren't really getting talked about and that should potentially be good. I think a good answer as well, especially on this card, which no one seems to be talking about, uh, would be Paul Craig and Volkan Uzdemir because Paul Craig is Paul Craig and you never really know what's going to happen with him outside of getting beat up and maybe pulling off a submission because that's kind of all he does. He's similar, that same category of fighters we talked about last week, Jed, with uh, Brian Ortega. They always lose until they win. Derek Lewis, Yoel Romero, maybe not to the same level, but he's been doing it pretty well lately. So Very similar Paul Craig, still. Yeah, so he's uh, fun to watch. But in terms of a fight that I think will be more competitive and kind of crazy from both guys, I would go for the first fight. But, I mean, Paul Craig against anybody, you're going to get that out of him, I think, and that's always fun too. So I want to mention that. Mike, what what's your low-key banger? Because I got to say, Drake, I, I do not agree that Nicholas Dalby and the Curtain Jerker is the answer here. Well, I'm going to give you like the preview show answer, and then I'm going to give you the correct answer. The preview show answer is Makwadamir Khani versus Jonathan Pierce, because this fight rules. It's Mr. Finland, Mr. Five Minutes taking on JSP, because JSP, like we will know, after, like, we'll know probably in the first four minutes what this fight's going to look like. Either it's going to be over and Makwadamir Khani should win, or Mr. Finland is about to be in a world of painful hurt because Jonathan Pierce is just going to wear on that man for the rest of the fight because we all know what happens when Amir Khani first round. So I'm curious to see if Amir Khani could do it again and get a first-round finish or if it's just going to be a rough, painful night for him. But the correct answer, Jed, is the one that you skipped over. It didn't enough time because no one's really talking about this and they should be Chris Curtis looking to keep that undefeated streak going against Jack Hermanson like I know losing a star in Darren Till hurts I know a lot of hearts are broken and I know a lot of people wanted to see Darren Till potentially in the corner of Chris Curtis but that's not going to happen here Darren Till put out a statement it would be disrespectful to Jack Hermanson to like pull out of the fight and then corner Chris Curtis and pretend to be Sean Strickland like I completely agree with Darren's coming from he, Darren shouldn't take any bit of a hit or a beating on social media for this. Even Chris Curtis has come out and defended Darren and be like, I just want to do something nice for the hometown fans. But no one's talking about this fight because Darren Till's not in it anymore. Jack Hermanson needs a win badly. He has, he's been in some trouble. He has not looked great in these last fights. And Chris Curtis could find himself maybe being a top 10 middleweight in the year of our Lord 2022. And I think he's a really good chance to win this fight. I think this matchup favors him really well. The fact that Sean Strickland just fought Jack Hermanson, and guess who Sean Strickland's main training partner is? Chris Curtis, who's actually in the corner of Sean Strickland. This is actually a tailor-made matchup for Chris Curtis. I just don't see a world where Jack Hermanson can really do a whole lot in this fight. Get a sneaky heel hook or a leg lock submission, but I don't see him being able to trick Chris Curtis down. I certainly don't see him out striking Chris Curtis. Like maybe he lands a big shot, but Chris is durable. He's hard to take down. He's hard to finish. And if Rodolfo Vieira couldn't take him down and finish him, then I don't think Jack Hermance is going to be able to do it. But no one seems to be talking about this fight, really. It's the co made event. We're talking about the main event. We're talking about Patty Piblin and Jordan Levitt. But we've almost forgotten about this fight in a way because Darren Till's not a part of it anymore. So that is the correct answer. But if we're going like a little more hipster, a little deeper on the card, it's Makwan Amir Khani, Mr. Finland, Mr. Five Minutes taking on JSP. Mike, well done because you got it. I, 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 the Chris Curtis is fine, but the correct answer is obviously the Makwan Amir Khani JSP because Makwan Amir Khani has four minutes and 12 seconds of gas tank and he <laughs> he's gonna burn it all baby 
he is going for broke right out of the gates. And that is obviously going to be the most fun five minutes or less of a fight in the evening. <laughs> and that that's it. That's the end of the round, gentlemen. Mainly because we're already 15 minutes over where we'd like to be at this point. <laughs> so, you know, we had a lot to talk about. Uh, good competitive round. Uh, but but the winner of the point for this round. Cue, cue the drum roll. And new Mike Heck gets oh, the point. Really? A three to one victory for the man who created the show, Mr. Mike Heck. <laughs> I don't seem very excited, he's, Mike. <laughs> he's he's taking it back. I'm stunned. I'm happy. I'm surprised. But I'm a little upset at the same time, Drake. I'm a little upset. Um, Look, sometimes her like, Dean jumps I, I, in early, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, or this late. is, this is, yeah, really, yeah. Oh, man. I just, listen, I don't want people to, to, to think this is a fixed thing that we're just, oh. we're just, we're just, we're just robbing Drake of this title. I was kind of interested in the fan vote, but listen, I'm not the look judge. If, look, if, I'm if just you, the guy. If you and, want to uh, put it up double or nothing, we can do a KO round. Hey, listen, listen, there's a rules. There's rules. Uh, in WWF and UFC and all this stuff, but the, the the referee's decision is final. You made your decision, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to live with it. I'm gonna toss and turn a little bit, and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna offer something up right now. I'm gonna offer something up right now because I think needs. We could put Drake on the uh, the old split screen here. We could put Drake on the old split screen here. Drake, here's what I offer you. Here's what I offer you, and I like to. <laughs> What a music drop. But one title, one title is not enough. I'm looking for multiple titles, and I feel like you should have a title as well. So I'm going to use my time to call out the BTL tag team champions, AK Lee and Kristen King. And I am asking you, Drake Riggs, to be my tag team partner for this venture. You and I versus Team Horror, Horror horror as a horror movie because they like the gory stuff they like the blood and the guts Kristen king and ak lee heck and drake drake and heck ak and kk let's go what do you say it would be an honor mike let's do it i mean i went from calling you out to being your partner this worked out better than i thought you know it's very I'm, pro I'm wrestling in, i'm in yes let's go <laughs> absolutely let's go ak you're my best friend but not on this show, baby. Not on this show. Drake's my new best friend. He is the Corey Matthews to my Sean Hunter, and we're taking you down. Wow. And my mantle's going to have so many titles on it. The BTL Wikipedia page is about to be Belt busy. Collectors. Let's go. Well, this works out perfectly because then it means I didn't have to come up with a knockout round question, which is the best because we already took a lot of time on this episode. That's why. Oh, I, I did. It just wasn't nearly as good because originally it was going to be paint me a word picture on what it looks like if Nate Diaz wins. But then we covered that exhaustively. So, <laughs> But for as much time as we've spent, Drake, I'm still willing to give you 30 seconds to tell us how you feel, man. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm honestly not surprised. I did not expect to win this. I just wanted to shake things up and get out of your your crosshairs, Jed. I mean, my goodness, we've go, been going back and forth for, what, six for me now in a row? So uh, 
I'm more than happy to suffer a title loss to Mike and now be his tag team partner. It's very cool. I just want to be a part of history, man. So this will be my first tag team match. If they accept, Mike, we got to hear what they say first, but I'm in, man. Let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. I mean, you you are absolutely making history. And I mean, after hey. a competitive fight like that, we're going to have to run this back at some point. You know, you get the heel turn. Maybe you betray Mike in the tag team match. <laughs> Can they coexist? I mean, this is this, this is this is just a brilliant move on my part because with my with my stubbornness and Drake's just long line of fans, there's no way we're losing. Like, there's literally no way we're losing. Really the true. Championship match. It's no impossible. Chance. We're hold on, hold on. Uh, we're minus nine fifty favorites in future bets right now, uh, Drake. So. I would have thought right. it'd be four, four digits. So. And there's our our executive producer, Mr. E. Casey Lydon. How are the people treating this, Casey? Oh, they absolutely they love pissed? it. They they're so excited. They're so excited. They watch this whole show so they can they're wait so for the final pissed. round, and it just got taken from them. So this, I swear to God. I know. This but, is but, all me. But they can all hate me, and I'm totally okay with it. But I want to say this: the poll, though, that I threw up at the beginning of the fourth round, um, who was today's winner? <laughs> Mike Heck, well, I put it was it was Drake Riggs, Mike Heck, or a draw. It was a tie. Forty three percent had Drake Riggs, forty three percent had Mike Heck, and twelve percent had a draw. So that's wow. even more perfect. Wow. Everything everything <laughs> works out well. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. I would hug you right now, Drake. I would hug you right now. <laughs> the virtual I, hug. Put my glasses right. on. Backwards uh, hat. Hug, Let's hug, go. Hug, hug, hug. <laughs> The future tag team champions, baby, right here. Yeah. AK, Kristen King, your move. <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown. It was my absolute privilege to host this week, ladies and gentlemen. But we're over time. We got to get out of here. So for myself, for E. Casey Lydon, for Drake Riggs, for Mike Heck, and for the soon-to-be new tag team champions of Heckin' Riggs, Riggs and I, whatever we're calling it, <laughs> Good night, it's a everybody. Heckin big rig. <laughs> it's a heckin' big rig is a great name. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links. I'm Mr. Lin, and thank you for hosting Mr. No Gray Area, Jed Mashu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Happy birthday, AK! You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. <laughs>